Hello, I'm Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband, Bob. Today, I'll be reading Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 to 29 from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, beginning at verse 18. The sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was peopled. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. He said, Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed by the Lord, my God, be Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. May God make space for Japheth, and let him live in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 9. Just as many passages in the Bible have been mistranslated and or misused to justify the male domination of women, this passage in the book of Genesis has been wrongly used throughout history to rationalize both racism and slavery. In a book entitled Slavery Ordained by God, the Reverend Dr. Fred A. Ross used Noah's curse on Canaan as a biblical justification for racial slavery in the pre-Civil War American South. He claimed that Ham was African, that he was an inferior race, and that all of Ham's descendants were predestined to become the slaves of white Americans. In the same argument, Dr. Ross claimed that God predestined women to be the slaves of men. Using the same spurious logic as he did to rationalize racial slavery, he claimed that it was God's will for Eve and every woman after her to be subjected to the authority of their husbands. In our fifth podcast episode, we already addressed how inaccurate translations and interpretations of Genesis have been used to rationalize the subjugation of women. In this podcast episode, we will identify and remove a racist bias that sometimes skews the meaning of Genesis chapter 9. To begin, there is no support whatsoever in the Bible for the notion that one of Noah's three sons was cursed with slavery because he was the father of an inferior race. This notion is an example of pure racism. It is also an example of seeing something in the Bible that truly is not there. Sadly, this is how prejudice works. People think they see evidence for their beliefs when such evidence does not exist. Their prejudice distorts their perception of reality. As a result of this distortion, people who are prejudiced often do not recognize it. In this portion of the book of Genesis, there is mention of a curse on one of Ham's sons, named Canaan. 
the curse has nothing to do with anyone's race. It is a direct response to Ham's sinful behavior, referred to in Genesis 9.22. It also appears to be a prophecy of God's judgment upon the Canaanite people for similar sins they will commit in the future. To understand Noah's response correctly, we must first understand the nature of Ham's actions. We are told that Noah drank wine from his own vineyard, became drunk, and passed out naked in his tent. The Hebrew and Greek language used here indicates that his vulnerable or private parts were uncovered. Ham then entered the tent, looked upon his father's nakedness, and then went to tell his two brothers about it. Frequently, in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, euphemisms are used to refer to behavior involving a person's genitals. In 1 Samuel 24.3, for instance, Israel's king Saul goes to a cave to quote-unquote cover his feet. This meant that he lowered his clothing over his feet to relieve himself. Similarly, in Leviticus 18.9, the Hebrew expression uncover her nakedness is a prohibition against a brother engaging in incestuous sex with his sister. In Leviticus 20, verse 17, incest is referred to as seeing the nakedness of a family member. In Leviticus 18, 3 and 7, the Israelites are warned not to engage in incest, like the people of Canaan. Quote, unquote, you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father. In light of this use of euphemistic language, the author of Genesis appears to be telling us that Ham sexually violated his father while Noah was asleep from his wine. Furthermore, the author of Genesis also tells us that the descendants of Canaan will indulge in similar sins and incur God's judgment in the future. Numerous books of the Old Testament, as we will see, detail the violence of those who lived in the land of Canaan. These sins notably included sexual crimes and the sacrifice of children to false gods. We've already read one reference to this behavior from Leviticus chapter 18, verses 3 and 7. Incest, as well as child sacrifice, to the Canaanite god Molech are then highlighted in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5 and 19. In verse 19, incest is summarized using the euphemistic language to lay bare one's own flesh. The meaning here is to engage in sexual behavior with a member of your own family. Furthermore, the author of Genesis highlights that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah would one day be settled by the people of Canaan. We find reference to this in Genesis 10, verses 15 through 20. In the Old Testament, as well as in Jewish history, the city of Sodom was renowned for the sexual violence of its inhabitants. In Genesis chapter 19, we read that all the men of Sodom attempted to rape two messengers from God who were sent to a man named Lot who lived among them. 
For this and other similar acts, God pronounced judgment on this city. These events are referred to in the historical works of first century A.D. writer Flavius Josephus, who wrote, The country of Sodom borders upon it. It was of old a most happy land, both for the fruits it bore and the riches of its cities. Although it be now all burnt up, it is related how for the impiety of its inhabitants it was burnt by lightning in consequence of which there are still the remainders of that divine fire, and the traces, or shadows, of the five cities are still to be seen, as well as the ashes growing in their fruits, which fruits have a color as if they were fit to be eaten, but if you pluck them with your hands, they dissolve into smoke and ashes. And thus what is related of this land of Sodom hath these marks of credibility, which our very sight affords us, and that is found in Josephus, Jewish War, Book 4, Section 476. The preservation of the fruit found in the charred remains of Sodom is reminiscent of the manner in which produce, animals, and even human inhabitants were preserved by being encased in ash in the aftermath of Mount Vesuvius' famous eruption that destroyed the Roman city of Pompeii. Once we cast aside prejudiced interpretations used to justify racial slavery, what message are we left with in Genesis chapter 9? God sees when human beings commit sexual crimes. He sees when the vulnerable are taken advantage of and abused. If this continues, if people are unwilling to turn away from doing wrong and to look to God for help to change their thinking and behavior, God will inevitably bring an end to injustice through an act of judgment. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, themes of God's mercy and justice are recurring. God loves human beings. He is forgiving and merciful. He is also just and will not allow evil to continue indefinitely. Those who insist on exploiting or abusing others will one day face God's judgment for the wrongs they have done.